Welcome to this episode of Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Jim O'Donnell, Executive Director of Pharmacy Services for Kettering Health in Dayton, Ohio. In this episode, we will focus on how design thinking can be an effective tool for fostering innovation in healthcare today. Thanks again for listening to Disrupt. Today, I'm thrilled to have Jim O'Donnell on the podcast. Jim currently serves as Executive Director of Pharmacy Services for Kettering Health. He and his team are great partners of the School of Pharmacy and the Center for Pharmacy Innovation here at Cedarville. Jim, thanks for coming into the studio today. My pleasure. It's awesome to be here. Yeah. All right. Well, I usually like to kick this off by simply asking you to tell a bit of your story. So can you tell us a bit about your journey to um, becoming a pharmacist? Sure. So I grew up in a household of nurses. So my mother's a nurse, my aunt, her sister was a nurse, my father's sister was a nurse. So healthcare was always part of our life. Um, in high school, I loved math and I loved chemistry. So there's this natural bond to drawing in pharmacy. So pretty much in an early age in high school, I decided that's what my career was. I had no desire to go to medical school. I just did not want to put myself through that. So um, ended up as a choice between Butler University and Purdue, and my dad grew up as a big IU fan, so I couldn't go to Purdue. So I ended up going to Butler University, and it was just an awesome experience. That's great. And of course, uh, Butler, a lot of history there with their basketball program and Hinkle Fieldhouse. It's a great place to go watch a game for those who love college basketball and haven't tried it yet. So, But not so much this year. So, Well, this year was a tough one. That's true. Well, um, I know you've served in a number of leadership roles over the years as well as a pharmacist. So I would love to hear a bit more about some of those roles and how you ended up at Kettering Health. So interesting enough, um, when I went through pharmacy school, I always wanted to get on the business side of pharmacy. So shortly after I got my pharmacy degree, I went to IU um, and got my MBA. And interesting enough, at that point, um, I actually got out of pharmacy for a little bit. Um, I did a fellowship in the hospital on, as an administrative fellow, and then probably spent 10 years working on the administrative side. But then I really, I missed the pharmacy side of things. And so I, I, it was, I, I felt like I was a generalist and I wasn't specific towards something. And so I went back into pharmacy and ended up taking a role that, as a director in Indianapolis and then was promoted up to um, the executive vice, or to the vice president role. And um just really was able to, at that point, really started to look at the fact that medications play such an important lives in the, or such an important role in the lives of individuals. So ended up, so I was in Indianapolis, and then uh, under various circumstances, my wife and I decided to make the, uh, to, to relocate to Louisville to take a job down there. And I uh, worked for a very large healthcare system, you know, CHI, which is a nationwide organization, and pretty much had a number of hospitals across the entire state of Kentucky. I mean, I had, there were some hospitals that were four hours away. And neither one of us were really looking to make a move. And then I had a recruiter call me about the opening up at Kettering. And so I said, let's, let's, you know, sure, I'll come down and listen. Let's hear again. I wasn't necessarily looking at moving. But when I was in the interview and it included the CEO, the hospital presidents, everything was about patient care. You know, we weren't talking about dollars. We weren't talking about you know, profits. We were just talking about patient care. And I felt that that was very inspiring. So 
luckily enough, there was a position there for my wife as well. So she ended up taking a job as a pediatric neurologist at Dayton Children's Hospital. And it's turned out she's got great partners. So really for both of us, it's been an absolutely fantastic move. Yeah, that's great. We've been impressed with all the things happening there at Kettering Health and are glad you're here. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to ask as well, what does your current role look like? What are some of the things that you do there at Kettering? So I have responsibility for pretty much everything pharmacy. So I have responsibility for our, our eight hospital pharmacies. We have 13 retail pharmacies. That includes a specialty pharmacy, and well as a long-term care pharmacy. Um, we also have infusion pharmacies for non-oncology and oncology medications. Um, we also recently started an ambulatory care pharmacy program. So we have nine FTEs who are in those roles. And also, I actually manage the non-oncology infusion center. So not just the pharmacy part of what's involved, but also the, the nursing component of, side of that as well. Um, we also played a major role in the vaccine program for employees. And then obviously down the road with all the therapeutics that are out there. So we're, we're still heavily involved with that. I know people think that you know, COVID obviously is a lot better than it was a year ago, but we're still, we're still dealing with it on a day-to-day basis. It's still mm-hmm. impacting our lives. Now, that's great. So I'm also aware that your pharmacy team recently received an award for innovation, really, at the American Society of Health Systems Pharmacists. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that work, going back to, I guess, some of the COVID-related um, stuff that you guys were doing. So it was interesting because, and it was fantastic. It was, it was great to be honored for, for that work. What we were noticing early on was that there were different therapeutics. And some of these therapeutics weren't for everybody, like the Paxlovas, but then there was also some therapeutics like the monoclonal antibodies that just weren't available. And sometimes they weren't effective against certain variants of, of, you know, of COVID. So it was a challenge for our medical staff to kind of figure out which one to use. So what we ended up doing was we set up this referral program. So when a physician had a patient who had tested positive for COVID, they could just refer that patient into our program. We would then look at the patient and figuring out what they should be on based on availability of product, against the variant, um, what are the medications that they were taking, and then literally close the loop where we would then call the pharmacy, call in the descriptive if it's something that was an oral antiviral, or we'd schedule an appointment at the infusion center to get either a monoclonal antibody or more recently remdesivir, and then close the loop so that the physicians knew about it, and so they were aware of it. And so it was very user-friendly for the physician, very user-friendly for the patient. And our mindset to this was, this is a community need, this is a physician need, and it's a patient need. So this whole process really helped, was a kind of a pain reliever for all those individuals so that it was easy to use and turned out to be very effective. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so I, I'd like to know, too, if you're willing to share, what are some of the other innovations, uh, new things that you and your team are working on at Kettering Health right now? So our approach in looking at innovation is looking really specifically at the patient. And what are the pain points that patients are experiencing? So whether that is transportation to getting good medications or patients who have polypharmacy issues that are on 10 to 15 or more meds. So more recently, we actually purchased um, our version of PillPack, so, which is very rare for a healthcare system to own that type of technology. And the whole intent is to make that more user-friendly for individuals who are on 10 to 15 minutes who have a history of adherence problems. So we're also now working on top of that to create more of a clinical level so that we're more able to intervene with those patients to make sure that we're addressing any questions they may have about their medications or maybe even address questions, be 
once they're put on the medication. So our whole intent is just to make sure, one, they have access to meds, and two, is to make sure that they're adherent to those medications so that they, they there's a motivation for them to take those. So that's what we're working on that. We've also done a lot of work with medication assistance and you know, really kind of making that very user-friendly to make sure patients have access to free meds. We recently were one of the first hospitals in the, in the, in the country to come up with a drug repository program. So we're able to take unused oral oncology medications and have, when the patients don't take them for whatever reason, they could be returned and then we could redispense those to patients who have a financial need. So we think that's pretty cool. The, the other thing that I'm not sure where this is going to go, I'm just intrigued by it, is the whole aspect of gamification. You know, I run, and when I run so many miles, I get these badges on Strava saying, hey, congratulations, you did 20 miles this week, or you, are you up for a half marathon challenge or whatever? So I'm intrigued with how we can use that to help patients be motivated to take their medication. So kind of just doing some studying with that, but it's something that I'm just, I'm very intrigued with. And then, you know, we're also really working hard then too with the whole digital experience and making it more user-friendly for patients to get in touch with the pharmacist. And, you know, I think a number of years ago, people were saying, well, people above 70 don't use their cell phones. Well, yeah, they do. They do now, right? <laughs> they do now, absolutely. Um, uh, it's clear for me and just getting to know you here that innovation's at the heart of everything you do. Uh, so I guess I want to ask, what motivates you to prioritize innovation in your work and in your life? Well, you know, my belief, and it's kind of going back a little bit, but for most patients, medications are often their primary treatment. You know, they may have surgery, they may go to therapy, but, you know, when patients are being discharged from the hospital, they're on meds. When they go to a physician office, they're, they're getting medications. But Medication, we, we don't always optimize the effectiveness of those medications. So you have all these patients who are who dependent on their medications, but either are on the wrong medications or not the right blend of medications. They don't have access or they don't take. So, and I also believe that the current model in providing that care doesn't change. The outcomes aren't going to change. So then how could we start shifting the focus on the patient pain points and just coming up with more innovative solutions to address those pain points so that maybe one day patients are taking all their meds and they're on the right meds and they're adhering to those. I just think the impact of that would be, would be huge. Yeah, oh, I agree fully with you. Now I think is a good time to pivot a little bit to the main topic of the day, and that's how a particular approach to innovation called design thinking can be a really beneficial tool. And I know that's something that you're passionate about and know a lot about. So first, I guess if you could, for our listeners, describe, how would you describe this process of design thinking? And when did you first hear about it? So I first heard about design thinking, literally, I was on the way up to a meeting in Wisconsin. It was the Epic User Group meeting. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to a podcast by a professor named Tina Selig. She's a professor at Stanford and I saw that she was part of what was called the Stanford D School. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So I did a lot of work online and studied this D School and realized that they had this executive training program. And I thought, doesn't hurt to try and apply. So I did. Um, it was pretty tough to get into. They don't take a lot of, of applicants. And I ended, up, I ended up being accepted into the program. And so I ended up going out there. As, you know, it, uh, I was, what was interesting is I was the only person in healthcare there. Wow. So there was probably 40 people in the class. Um, it wasn't cheap, I can tell you that. And 
it came out of my pocket. It wasn't something that the organization paid for. But it, it just, it, I walked out of there with a whole new different perspective because I was always a spreadsheet guy. And I realized that if I really want to come up with solutions and services and products that are going to make a difference, I've got to get out in the world. I've, I have to start engaging with individuals. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, when we arrived at the D school, I was, it was interesting because we had a brief introduction and then they said, okay, you're all getting on the bus. We're going to the San Francisco airport and you're going to walk out and talk to consumers about their air travel experience. And we're like going, oh, that sounds very intimidating. You know, we don't <laughs> want to do that, but, yep. but that's where you get information. And so that was so insightful and literally, like I said, changed my perspective. And so, you know, the design innovation just doesn't happen. It, you're not walking down the road and suddenly lightning hits and saying, you know, you know, Elon didn't suddenly get hit with lightning and say, Tesla. That doesn't happen. <laughs> right. It's a process. And so design thinking is basically an innovative process, taking through certain steps to come up with ideas and then, or first of all, to identify a need and then come up with a way to, to come up with prototypes and then test those prototypes. Okay. That's a great intro there. So my understanding is there are different phases of yes. design thinking. Yes. So maybe walk us through those five main phases and that might give us a little bit more insight into how to describe what this process looks like. So the foundation of design thinking is empathy. And that really means understanding the individuals that you're designing for. What problems are you trying to solve for them? And, but you have to understand them, not just the surface stuff, but the stuff that's deep down. And really you do that by one is observation you know, looking at them, looking at what frustrates them. And you, like speaking of the airport, you can see there there were certain individuals that individuals that very, felt very uncomfortable getting on a plane. So you observe people, you talk to people, you really get, and when you talk to them, you really are designed to try and get down into what they're thinking and then putting yourself through the experience. You know, if you're, if you're looking at someone who's in a wheelchair, put yourself in that experience and understand what they're doing through them. So once you go through the empathy stage, then you really get into the define stage. And what you're trying to do here is define the problem. You know, what problem do they experience? And that's a challenge. That, that is a tough phase for me, but there are certain techniques you can use to actually define that problem. And then you get into ideate, which is really come up. Now that you've got this problem, start brainstorming ideas on to fix those problems. And what people tend to do is come up with one solution and then their mind just shuts down. In design thinking, we want you to come up with as many ideas as possible. Good ideas, bad ideas, terrible ideas, goofy ideas. Because the whole thought is that if you come up with a ton of ideas, that some of those are really going to be very powerful. And there's a line that they use at the D school that there's a, a fine line between craziness and fantastic. And so, you know, where's that? And then the next phase really gets into prototyping where you actually are creating a basically a mock-up of that product. And these could be just very simple things that you put together with, you know, styrofoam or paper or whatever products are available. And then you test it. The next phase is testing where you actually get input from a user and have them work with it. And then you kind of continue this, this looping feedback till you come up with something that actually works. So it's pretty straightforward, but it involves a lot of actually doing. So it's, it's not a lot of sitting back and, you know, planning, planning, planning is, it's getting your hands really involved with it. And so that, um, but, but I just, like I said, I came out of that with a whole new perspective because like I said earlier, it's the foundation is the empathy and the only way you're going to get something solved is getting out in the field and learning. 
one of the things I love about design thinking is this idea that it's so people focused, right? As you kind of mentioned, sometimes we can become, especially I think as pharmacists and healthcare providers, so focused on data that's on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet, as you mentioned, right? And often we can forget the human element, those social determinants related to their health when it's in healthcare, but also just the things that they're they're thinking and they're feeling when they're faced with different problems. Um, so this idea of empathizing as the first um, pr- part of the process to me is is fascinating. I'm, I'm curious if there are any insights that you've learned from either going to a, a simply observe a process or using some of the tools that you've gained to generate this empathy data, if you will. So here's an example of one I had a couple weeks ago. Um, I went out to spend time with a nurse. So it's, it's med pass time in the hospital. I went on the floor and just shouted her to kind of see what, what she was going through from the whole process of finding out what the patient is on, getting the medications from the Omnicell and then giving them to the patient. The one thing, and so I'm, I'm looking for surprises. What are some of the things that look, that are very surprising to me? And one thing that came to my mind that was so, you don't really think about was one, they're getting these unit dose tablets the writing on there is really small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then, so it's like, oh, wow, how do you read that? And then also then what the nurse was complaining about was the difficulty is in opening up that blister pack to actually give the medication. And she said, there's some that you literally are, are pushing and all of a sudden it'll just pop out and land on the floor and then you got to start the whole process over again. So the, I just, you know, and what we'd come up with this, to address that, I don't know, but there again, that's really good insight to me that I think is very powerful. Another one that we had was a patient wasn't becoming adherent with their medications, and we were trying to figure out why. And to come to find out that one of her meds that the pharmacy had changed the dose or changed the manufacturer of it and was in the tablet was bigger. Well, she couldn't swallow it. So then we worked with the different pharmacy to get the original packet back so she was a little adherent. So it's Every patient is different, but, you know, like I said, these aren't things that you pick up through research. These are things that you pick up from actually observing the patient in real life. And there's a, just, just so much you can learn from that. Yeah, I, I love this first step of the, this process. And um, well, I love we could talk about it a lot longer, but I want to kind of keep walking sure. through these different steps. So after the empathize phase, we then have the define. And you mentioned sometimes this is really difficult to do, right? We, we may have a problem before us, but there might be layers underneath that are the ultimate problem. So I'd love to just hear you talk a bit more about this idea of defining. So the defining stage can be challenging. What I have found to be effective is that, you know, you've, you've gone out in the field and you've collected all these notes. And what I'm really in the defining stages is unpacking all the information is you literally take out, you take out sticky notes and you write down, you know, what did you hear you know, what did, what did you see? What did you experience? And just start postering those, you know, populating a wall with everything that you did. So it really is unpacking. Then you kind of step back and look at back going, what's surprising about what we saw? Is there something that is different? I mean, it's something that we didn't expect. And then you can kind of take that and come up with what's called a problem statement where you can say, you know, we met, you know, Tim Jones. We were surprised to learn that you know, Tim Jones never takes his medications because, you know, he's just kind of given up on life. Wouldn't it be really fantastic if we can come up with a solution that creates a motivation for him to actually take his medications? So I know it's kind of a simple thing, but putting that in a statement then 
really, in a sense, kind of identifies the problem, but then also comes up with a potential, you know, solution that you can st- then you can start using during the ideate phase to come up with a lot of different ideas. I love that, and you you also mentioned that we tend to jump to the idea phase a little bit too quickly, and I, you've also already alluded to this idea that quantity is important. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on when we get to the ideate phase, how do we do that well? You know, I love the ideate phase. I, it's my, because what, when you're, when you have this thought of, you got to come up with the one thing, there's a lot of pressure. You feel like you have to come up with the right solution. But when you're able to say, come up with as many ideas as you can, whether they're crazy, bad, terrible, or whatever, there's a relief saying, okay, I don't have to worry about that pressure. I can just brainstorm anything that comes to mind. But it takes thought to do that because people have this thought of not not wanting to do that. And so having this mindset, I think, is, is very critical. One of the things that I thought that was fantastic, a great example of this, is that um, Johnny Ives, who worked at Apple, um, he said that when after Steve Jobs died um, and he spoke at his funeral that he said Steve Jobs would always stop by and say, hey, Johnny, I've got this really goofy idea. And a lot of times these ideas were terrible, but every now and then there would be something that would be just absolutely fantastic. And so I, I, there's this, this idea of this relief and just coming up with as many ideas as you, as you can. And we always started with how might we statement. So how might we help Tim Smith be more motivated to take his medication? And then you start coming up with ideas and start populating that board. And, you know, and what's interesting is that a lot of people think that once you start brainstorming ideas that you'll get to a cliff and it'll just fall off. That doesn't happen. It's actually the opposite. The more you start brainstorming ideas, you get to a point where you start coming up with a lot more ideas. But it's getting that, it's like jogging before you start sprinting. And then, but, once, but once it hits, then the whole room just takes off and that's where the magic really happens. Yeah, it's, I kind of like to think of this bell-shaped curve, right, where if we're thinking of a bunch of ideas, we're going to have a bunch of them in the middle that are, that are okay, right? Right. You're going to have some on the far end that are just absolutely terrible. But you may have this moonshot amazing one that happens because you spent time thinking through the various possibilities rather than settling on the first okay idea that you come up with. Absolutely. Well, and you, and you think about it, I'm sure 15 years ago someone told Bezos that if he was going to deliver paper towels to someone's house the same day, they, they were crazy. <laughs> yeah. And now it's pretty much routine and the guy's multi-billionaire, so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you. I love this, uh, this idea of quantity over quality when it comes to ideas. So, okay, let's say now we've got an idea that we think is really fantastic. Now we've got to go to the prototype phase, which is coming up with uh, some type of, of shell or mock of what it looks like. So what are some of the tools that you've learned for prototyping? Well, it, in the, with prototype, it's just getting something that's very minimal for someone to test. If it's an app, literally draw an iPhone out on a piece of paper and talk about how the different, this is the first step, this is the second step, and just get it on paper. Um, or just if it's a product, kidding together the cheapest material you can find and put it together. I think there's this thought that you want to come up with a final product. Well, that you know, if you're testing a lot of ideas, that's going to take a lot of money and a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just think that that's but coming up with something in, in storyboards, if it's a service, you literally draw it out like a, like a movie screen on how, like a, a movie set, what the different steps are along the way. Cause that gives you something that then someone can then test to say, 
yeah, I would do that. No, I wouldn't do that. And I think that that's where you get some great feedback. Yeah. And that brings us to then this test phase of design thinking. One of the things I want to stress, and I think you've already really alluded to this, is it's not like you get a final product right after prototyping, right? right? You've got to go and get end user real time feedback. And then after you kind of go back in steps in the process, is that how you think of it too? Yeah. So for example, when, when I was at Stanford, what was interesting enough, they were talking about one of their students who developed this app and they literally took, like I said, you know, they drew out the, the app on a piece of paper. They literally went to a coffee shop and had people review it. What do you think of this? How do you, would you use this or not use this? And so there's a lot of new techniques out there that you can use to actually come up with ways of prototyping it. One of the things that I read recently is that, I guess, and I have experienced this myself, I don't know exactly how it works, but you can actually come up with services on Facebook that you can put out there and then you could test them. And if, if people turn around, they want to, and literally, will people give you their credit card number to buy it? Now, obviously, this, is, you can, this isn't a real product, and you can say, no, we're not going to do that. But there's just ways that you can go on and test different products. And, um, but I just think there's a lot of tools out there that you can actually work out to do, especially now with more technology out there. There's just more of a way to, whether it's through storyboarding or through other visuals, allowing individuals to get their hands on it and try and experience it. Yeah, and I know we've learned a lot from our industrial design colleagues here recently about if it's a physical product, there are lots of ways, whether it's 3D printing or simple foam and carving things out. You can do so many things here in this phase. Well, seriously, I was watching this one episode one time about they were they were coming up with this solution for a commercial. They were wanting to come up with something. And they literally took this fake TV and had a guy behind it going through the motions of what the, what would happen on the commercial. But it's a cheap way of doing it. And so, but I, and, and I think so often people want to, they don't want to, they're embarrassed to come up with something that is, is goofy because it's just something that doesn't take a lot of time to put together. But then that's how you get feedback. When we were looking at doing our Mez the Best program, um, we just did it. We just said, okay, we're going to deliver the medications ourselves and learn from it. And I, I think by just going there and just getting your hands dirty and doing it, you learn a lot from that. Yeah, absolutely. That experience is super helpful. Um, another question that I had is simply about how best to develop a, a team to go through this process. It, uh, this is not something you want to do in a vacuum by yourself, right? right? Because when you're thinking yourself, you stifle ideas and perspective and so many things. So can you talk a bit about the importance of building a team to go through this process together? Yeah. And so uh, what's important is that you can't do this alone because you're your own perspective and that's all there is. What is really powerful is being in people from different backgrounds so that, you know, someone who is, you know, maybe an engineer or someone who's a pharmacist, someone who's a physician, because everyone's going to come about this with a different perspective. And that's why I think that talking to patients, including patients in the design of something is also very important because everyone comes to mind with a different way of looking at things because, you know, we walk through our world with our own lens on. So we, we have certain biases, certain experiences that basically judge how we view a certain situation where someone else is going to look at that very differently. And it's important for us to understand their perspective in trying to come about doing things. So in, 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 in a sense, sense too, it's, it's important because, you know, when you're in the right group, you start bouncing ideas back and forth. And I think that's very powerful. And one of the things that it's interesting that, you know, I like history that um, Benjamin Franklin used to do is he had this, what was he called his circle of friends, that it would be, different individuals from town who would talk about so-and-so's moving into town, you know, what experience did they bring, 
or they brainstorm ideas on how to create a library or look at a, a, a new way of addressing a certain problem. But it could be nothing that never happens, but they created this factory of just coming up with ideas. And so, you know, what I'm looking forward to, one of the things I'd love to do kind of sometime after this is, you know, create some type of environment where people can get together, you know, sometime after work and just pick a subject and just brainstorm it and talk about it. And who knows, maybe it leads to something big, maybe it doesn't, but you know, it sounds like a lot of fun and good potential. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Make sure I'm invited to those. Absolutely. I want to come to you. I know that you've done a lot of things in terms of developing daily habits to help you gain perspective and see opportunities around you. So I'd love to hear some uh, some more about those daily habits or things that you do to keep this innovation edge sharp. So there's a couple of basic things I do. Um, <clears throat> you know, I listen to different podcasts, obviously, and things that may not be related to pharmacy at all, because I think that draws out inspiration. But one of the things that I do do as well, and it's kind of crazy, but it's it's me, and I carry a notebook with me. And in this notebook, I write down things that bug me. So if I see something, I'll, I call it a bug list, I write it down. So as an example, um, it's cold today. And if I go to the gas station, I'm going to fill my gas, my car with gas. If it asks me, do you want a car wash? Do you have a little of reward card? Do you want, you know, 10 cents off your pizza that you're buying? No, I want to put gas in my car. <laughs> So I want the an I just want the answers. That's all I want. I just want to put gas in the car. So that's on my bug list. I also write down things that I think are cool. You know, so for example, when I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago, there's a parking garage somewhere downtown that has the floors listed as, you know, one, level one, two, three, and four, but it also has singers on the floor. So this is the the Beatles floor, or this is the Frank Sinatra floor. So I parked on the Frank Sinatra floor, so, you know, it was easy for me to remember where I parked because, you know, they're playing New York, New York. I'm coming in Chicago, probably been playing New York, New York, but that's the way it was. <laughs> but I, I think that those, those are pretty pretty nifty ideas. The other thing, too, is every morning I come up with a certain subject, and I'll just write down 10 ideas to address that subject. It could be something as 10 ideas for landscaping the backyard, and I write down 10 ideas. And I do that every single morning because I'm trying to train myself to constantly come up with different ideas. It could be backyard ideas. It could be 10 ideas for dinner tonight. It could be more something more serious, like 10 ideas to address med medication adherence or to come up with 10 ideas to address staff development. But I'm getting myself into that routine of coming up with these different ideas. And along with that, I always draw a picture of a car. And I don't know why I do that. But if you look at my initial drawings, they were terrible. They've gotten a little bit better, but, <laughs> you know, it's just something that I'm trying to open up my mind to as, as a routine to come up with more inputs into then, because you have more inputs, then you come up with more ideas. Well, you're teaching me a lot. I've got a couple of things that I need to start doing here. So thanks, you, thanks a lot for that. I, I want to bring this process kind of together um, as we've talked through the different um, phases of it. So recently you had a vision of taking your pharmacy leadership team through design thinking training. And we were fortunate enough to um, to partner with you on that here at Cedarville University. And, and you called it Innovate RX. So it was a great event. So I'd love if our listeners could hear a bit more about this event and how, how it went and what your takeaways were from it. So I thought it was fantastic. So we took everyone in our pharmacy leadership team from managers on up, as well as a number of other key individuals 
and put them through a day-long training program here at Cedarville working with the College of Pharmacy. And in a sense, what we ended up doing was um, having every group go through a certain phase of design thinking, but they would go through actually learning it for like half an hour or so, and then they would go through the experience. So, for example, you know, we talked about um, empathy. And so we talked about what that stage meant, the observation skills, you know, putting yourself through the experience, interviewing technique. And then at the end of it, we said, your challenge for today is to go out and improve the education experience for, for students of Cedarville University. So we took everyone in that room and sent them out and to have them go out and talk to students of Cedarville University. And I could tell you, when I first presented this challenge to the staff, they looked at me like, are you kidding me? I have to go out and talk to students. And they did. They went out and spent two hours in the halls here at Cedarville talking to students about their experiences. And I thought that was fantastic. You know, I remember watching one student who was in a classroom just writing everything on a wall. And it was her way of learning. And she'd, she'd create, she'd put, she filled up this marker board with all this information, take a picture, and then erase it all. So we went and talked about that, and she was saying that that's her way of learning something is to write it down. And she said there was a little guilt involved with erasing it, but she knew she had to do that. But to me, there was so much that we gained from that. And so then we continued the rest of the day. They went in, we, we, we talked about then the defined stage. They then went back to their breakout room and went through these processes to define a problem. Then we talked about ideating, and then they went back and brainstormed idea on how to solve the problem. And then they developed prototypes. And I thought the real cool part at the end was having the groups then present their prototypes to real students here and to get feedback on those different ideas. And I thought that was really powerful. So all what I wanted from this day was for people to leave just thinking a little bit differently. So in a couple areas, one is to start looking, for, looking in the world for different ideas, a different way of doing things. But then also really in a sense, putting themselves in the experience of trying to identify problems and then having different ideas to actually address those problems. And we've had some follow-up, so it's been, been, been good. I think that people now are getting used to having post-it notes and markers all over the place because we've done <laughs> yeah. a lot of brainstorming on different ideas since then. And, you know, one of the things I want to do next then is, is maybe go through the same experience again with individuals who are more at the pharmacist level who have more of a desire that they think like this that, you know, they may be our, our so-called informal leaders when it comes to identifying problems that patients experience and maybe just come up with new ways of, of addressing. Yeah, I've, I, you did a great job describing the event, and it, it was really fascinating, I agree, to see the students giving feedback at the end. That's really the, the test part of this process, right? So that in an ideal world, then the teams could go back and do more prototyping and improving what they had presented to a point where then it becomes something that can be implemented, right? right? So it was it was a great day, and we're appreciative of your leadership and vision for that day. It was great. I, I want to pivot a little bit and just talk generally about um, healthcare innovation. I know that where you sit, you have a kind of a bird's eye view of how the pharmacy enterprise in a health system sits within a larger organization. So I know that there are a lot of forces at play in today's healthcare environment that make it ripe for innovation, in my opinion. So. Uh, I guess I'd just love to know, what do you think we need to do as a profession in pharmacy to capitalize on this opportunity to innovate? 
I'll be honest with you. I think pharmacy is well positioned to innovate. Um, going back to the, what I said earlier is that medication, everyone's on a medication. I mean, when, I mean, seriously, when you look at whether it is oncology or cardiovascular or diabetes or whatever disease state is, most often patients are on a medication, but we are not optimizing the effectiveness of it. It just doesn't happen. And if the model doesn't change, the results aren't going to change. So I think there's huge opportunity. I always look at pharmacy as if we can accomplish three things, it would be huge. One is make sure patients are on the right medications. What is that right blend of medications? Two is making sure they have access, whether that is overcoming financial access or overcoming convenience access, and then working the patient to make sure they actually take their medication. You know, whether they're not taking because they're intentionally not taking it or they just, they're forgetful and just not taken. If we can address those three things, the impact is huge. I mean, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Because I know from working in the hospitals that a leading cause of readmissions or admissions period are medication related. A number of visits to the ER are medication related. So that's why I think that there's there's so much opportunity out there in pharmacy. Now there are also, there are barriers. I think a lot of the key players, whether like the way the system is designed, so it's helping to overcome those. But you know, you know, I look at things like what Mark Cuban is doing with the the cost plus pharmacy program he's coming up with. You know, that is a disruptive thing. It'd be interesting to see how that goes in the long term because it's that's obviously new. But I think we've got to get back to understanding the core of what we're trying to do, and that's improve care. And I don't think we can solve things until we really understand what patients go through and then use that then as a model to come up with something that we think will really go a long way to providing care. And I, like I said earlier, I, I think it's how patients access meds, how they take them, how they interface with professionals like pharmacists. I think there's a huge opportunity that, you know, I, I think we're in a right position to impact care. That's great. And uh, it makes me uh, think that my next question, I'm going to be a little guilty of transgressing the first two phases of design thinking, but I want to ask, let's ideate for a minute. What are some of those ideas that might help to move the needle? Yes, we need to empathize and understand the patient. That's great. But Sitting here today, are there certain ways in which you see the pharmacist role changing to make an impact? So, uh, yeah, I do. I think that having more pharmacists involved in more like an ambulatory care setting where they're working with physicians, working with others to get more involved in in chronic disease management, I think is absolutely critical um, because the pharmacist not only is an expert on the medication, but they can also then work with the patient to make sure they understand why they need to take that medication. You know, I don't know what the number is, like 70% of patients at some point stop taking their chronic medications. And then remember, different studies say different things. But that's where I think that having pharmacists involved, I think, is, is absolutely critical. And then also then, how do we digitally make it so that the, when the patient just has a question, they can easily get a hold of somebody? You know, whether, whatever that, that is, whether it's an, a button on an app that they push, that suddenly they get a hold of a pharmacist. So I think that's that's important. The other thing I think is important too, and that it, it's interesting, is that I like the idea of having medications for a certain population delivered to the patient. But also, what I don't want to forget is the fact that I think pharmacists, when the patient comes to see a pharmacist in a retail setting, that's a great opportunity as well. 
And oftentimes patients will see a pharmacist a lot more than they see their physician just because they're coming into the store. And I think that when they come into the store, there's that opportunity then to make a difference. So they can look at someone and sing, well, I know she haven't been here for a couple months. You know, is there a reason why? And try to intervene there. So I think that is certainly a, a significant possibility in being able to better intervene. Um, then also, I think just the overall being able to monitor adherence, you know, being able to see when somebody is taking a med or not taking the med. And I, and I also think the other thing I, I think down the road too is, yeah, you know, I know pill pack has come so far, but I think even that technology can improve a little bit just to make it much more user-friendly for patients to actually take their medications. I was, not too long ago, I was, I was listening to something and it kind of, I thought about this idea. It was this food delivery company and they were saying that they'll send you a new meal every day. You know, six o'clock in the evening, you'll get this, this new meal delivered. And my mind quickly turned to, can you imagine someday where your medications are delivered to you daily? Wow. You know, here's your, it's Friday. Friday at five o'clock, you get medication delivered that you're supposed to take on Saturday. And then Saturday, you get medication you're supposed to take on Sunday. Reduces a lot of waste. But, and who knows, maybe that never happens, but just an idea that maybe someday something like that could, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And, and with the technology we see, whether it's 3D printing or AI or so many other things, the sky's the limit, really, right? Um, we, we have a lot of opportunities, so... Well, uh, I want to finish by asking if this has sparked an interest for one of our listeners about learning more about design thinking and uh, really being a part of innovating and, and making changes. Where are some places they can go to learn more about this process? Are there particular resources you would point them to? You know, the one that I would start out with is going to the Stanford D School website. They've got a whole host of tools. They have a reading list. They've got their own link to their own YouTube videos. There's just a whole source of information on there. I, I look at it, I go to that site a lot, quite frankly, because they'll add a new book about something that I think is interesting. And um, that, I think, is a great uh, great one that I think is interesting. Um, IDOU is another one. They use IDO and Stanford D-School, or we're both founded by David Kelly. So they've got some great tools as well. But those are the two that kind of have a broad availability of resources that are just right there. That's great. Well, Jim, it's been a pleasure to have you in here um, on the podcast. I love every conversation we have. So let's uh, let's plan on doing this again sometime Sounds soon. Sounds good to me. All right. Thanks for listening in today. You have been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening. <laughs>